Welcome to the Staffing RecOps podcast, where we interview leaders from high-volume staffing and recruitment firms on the operations, strategy and business processes that they've implemented or are implementing. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to like and subscribe. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcoming to the show today, Mark Allen. Mark, thanks for joining us. Hi, James. How are you? Good, thank you. Mark is Director of Operations for PMR, Property Management Recruitment, and Verto HR, based in London in the United Kingdom. Across the two brands, these businesses offer in-house HR and recruitment services within the built environment across both commercial and residential. Also within the group is Verto Training. Mark started as an associate on the recruitment side of the business, taking on various roles during his time with the organisation, becoming Director of Operations for Verto HR in January 2018 and then also for PMR in May 2018. We're still currently focusing on the overarching topics this quarter of onboarding, retention and reskilling. Mark, your organisation recruits and manages hundreds of workers across dozens of locations and sites. How do you manage that from an operational perspective to drive efficiency and to provide a good experience for your workers? Yeah, thank you, James. appreciate the um, heads or the uh, overview there. So it feels like I've been here like a lot longer than, well, in, in, in like an ops director role for a lot longer than five years. Um, obviously, there's a lot of change that's happened, I would say, more recently. Um, I know we had a brief chat sort of yesterday and we discussed timesheets and so on. I think the first thing we've done recently is sort of really had to look at our CRM processes and what we're using. I think we found it really difficult over, I'll say, the last, just at the start of COVID to find sort of the right platform that is going to sort of work for us. I know we're quite a niche business in the way we work with hundreds of sort of last minute out of hours temps, but um, we got to a point where we've got um, a, a new CRM that is just solely for temps. We've had to break it up, which isn't ideal. I said, I would love to hear from other people that do what I do and see if there are some sort of more, all-round software which i'm sure there i'm sure there is but if, if it works for us um i would be surprised but we got a software in, in regard to managing a full front to back office solution which gives us uh, the opportunity to basically book temps in and then manage that all the way through from compliance onboarding through to booking them into shifts we're also giving the client the opportunity to log into a back office portal solution um, and then on top of that all the way through to invoicing um, and also giving the client full access to their their invoices in, in, in one place really think... so, so you so you were saying that you, you've had to split that across the the perm and the temp division you've got two two systems in place yes yeah, so we've got two systems in place so we did go with one crm originally who had a number of sort of bolt-on packages that said that it would work well and integrate through an API, but it, it didn't work for us, unfortunately. I spent a year or so back and forth with the development teams of both of those brands, and it just didn't, I'm not saying it doesn't work in general, but for the way we needed it, it didn't work. Um, we needed it from a portal perspective where, I said, we wanted to have a front-to-back office solution where our temp staff can log in themselves. They can basically onboard themselves in one place. That could be anything from 
code of conduct, equal and ops um, policies through to their contract of employment with us. We employ all of our temporary staff on zero hours contractors on the PMR agency side. And they go in, there's a signing platform on there for them. They read through all of our terms. They fill out questionnaires. They put all their right to work documents in there that we can check originally before we actually see them in person. Um, and it just basically gives them the opportunity to log in. They get to see all of their shifts, where they're working. They get to see their calendar. So it's kind of like an, an, all, an all-encompassing platform for ourselves to basically have the compliance. Also for the temporary staff to have their, their own space to be able to manage their week and their day as well as a back office login for the client where they can see all of their timesheets um, sort of virtually. They log in, they can approve, they can amend, they can basically change the hours as I said and amend them if they feel that someone turns late or they stay longer. Um, and it also gives us an auditing tool. So, so getting away from paper timesheets that we had over the last however many years, we come away from that due predominantly one due to the functionality of it was very dated but secondly, the growth of the business couldn't actually maintain paper timesheets because there was so much coming in and we had like a fax inbox. When, when, no, I was going to say, when you say paper, do you, do you mean literally paper? Is it coming through a, a fax machine or, or you were having them come into your email? <laughs> Both. Um, they was going in, there was coming in all over the place. Some people were dropping them into the office still. Some people were posting them. Like, it depends on your, your candidate base. We had some... Yeah. Like we worked with concierge and porters and we had a lot of sort of sort of more more mature candidates who had worked for us for years sort of they were in their late 60s 70s retirement age people come to work from us to do some work once they've retired sometimes because they like to keep some interaction with people and then then maybe they're not as it literate as others so they was dropping them into the office and what's that adoption been like then? So you, you've digitised, you've not been able to find a solution for across the business and based on your size, I'm guessing you were, you were only really looking for off-the-shelf solutions. You're not you're not of a size that you're going to go build it yourself, etc. But it, found, it sounds like you have found a really good solution for your temp side of the business. So yeah. you've gone from paper to digital. What's the adoption been like for those people that that have been around a little bit longer, a little bit longer in the tooth, has it been harder to get them to start using this new software? Yeah, for me, honest, yes. There's still some kind of manual role there that the consultants play in sort of just overseeing their their timesheets. I think the timesheets generate themselves manually now, sorry, manually, automatically now. We don't, they don't actually have to send the timesheet in. They can log in, see their workload, anything that's been booked in by the team automatically automatically uh, creates a timesheet and that then becomes accessible for us to see and amend or the client to see and amend and and if anything it makes their lives easier because they don't have to do anything it's just the onboarding stage of when we need to get them up, um, sort of onboarded onto the new platform that we they sometimes need a bit more support with so I'm, I'm particularly interested in that so you've mentioned timesheets you've gone from paper timesheets that were being either emailed or faxed in um, to digitizing you've given everybody access to their own data essentially and, and power yeah. over both submitting and and seeing their own data what, what has that looked like then for the actual onboarding process H- how was that being done previously were people having to come into the office or yeah so well previously there was a lot more like covid changed a lot when it comes to 
um, virtual interviews and so on. Go back four four years ago, we was registering everyone face to face. Everyone would come into the office meeting. We had an additional meeting room at the time. We we moved in and we we actually uh, set up a new um, piece of tech that we use for onboarding. The platform basically is a video software that gives you the opportunity to record things. You can send through um, questions for them to answer and video themselves. So like our, our um, sector is very much focused around front of house, customer service, people skills, presentations, the way that people present and carry themselves in general because you're dealing with people's homes and you're on the front desk of a building where the expectation is to be polite and friendly and so on. So what we do is whenever someone registers with us now, we send them a couple of questions, sort of tell me a bit about yourself in 30 seconds or what do you think makes a good concierge or what makes a good porter or building manager. And then we get them to do short 30 second videos of themselves. And we that we can then use that for a few reasons. One, I've got a team of 25, 30 people that do temp recruitment and we do a 360, people do 10 pan pan, but I've got a lot of assistants that support on the temp side and they all have a KPI to register X amount of candidates every week. And the problem is not everyone can see that person because only one person meets them. They're not coming into the office. There's not as much traction across the team. So if someone's good or if someone you're not sure and you think that they need to do a video, it gives the rest of the team a visual overlook of that person just to give in sort of a, a short snippet, a short video. And that helps us to retain that information, understand who that candidate is, because every building is different from each other. Some buildings require, it might be an old school mansion block built in 1930 in Fulham. Or alternatively, it could be a brand new high rise that's been thrown up in Canary Wharf that is 58 floors, you know, and they like a five star hotel background, super prime, very high end, immaculate. Whereas a block in Fulham, might be happy with someone in jumper and trousers, not so smart. Um, and sort of there's different roles for different people depending on where they fit and what kind of buildings they're going to fit the culture and what they're suitable for, really. I hadn't even thought about that. When I was thinking onboarding I was and compliance, I was thinking more about what documentations they need, right to work, etc. Um, mm-hmm. So that's interesting. So so actually being able to to have some kind of video recording of how they present themselves you, you mentioned something just then so so we talked about how you've you've, you've had to go with separate systems um for for your temp and perm but you're saying mm. a number of your recruiters are 360 they cover both so yeah. what does that look like for them they're having to use two different systems mm. a lot of duplication of data i guess yeah so unfortunately there is we did duplicate the data in regard to the buildings and the clients that we work with so we've got all of our temporary buildings and clients in, in one place. And then they're also on this separate platform where we have, ev- I would say our database, we probably have every residential building in London bar, I don't know, a few if they're new or they don't have staff. Any building that has a member of staff at, we should probably know because we use that for sales. We use that for sort of keeping track of the industry, like what we do there's a big turnaround in managing agents. So residential block management is around or is focused on, you get a client like a freeholder or a developer, or you get um, a residence committee who manage a building or they sort of, they own a building. You should say they own the freehold, they own the land. 
um, and they have a managing agent that run that manages it for them. They manage service charge, the budget, section twenty notices, maintenance, cleaning, staffing. Funnily enough, because that is what that's what we work with them for. And um, is is there a sorry to interrupt? Is there a clear yeah. division between the the candidates that your recruiters are working for in terms of you have your your temporary workers and you have your candidates interest in permanent positions is there much crossover between the two would you place somebody in a permanent role and then still give them maybe out of hours shifts 100 percent, and that is a huge offering in our industry because we're not working in a i would say a very highly paid sector when it comes to front of house staff we try and push from our perspective london living wage as much as we can but we're working to tight budgets we we're dealing with leaseholder money and that's tight. I think at the moment, especially you've got all of the costs going up, insurance is going up, you've got um, electricity going up, you've got various other costs within to a service charge budget. With all the fire safety regs are going up, there's more costs coming into the building for that. So a lot of buildings have cladding problems, which have also caused a massive overhead, um, which they're, they're all trying to pay back for new fire alarm systems and whatnot. So, but the staff when we onboard them they come in and they're available for 10 poor perm really like we bring in a lot of people from hospitality sectors away from residential it could be hotels restaurants uh, warehouses whatever it may be and if they've got the right sort of customer service skill right attitude we might put them in some temporary shifts across you know five or six buildings over three to four months and if they work out well usually one of them buildings will probably offer them a job or one of the a property manager who work, who uses us as, um, or a client of ours will probably have a portfolio individually of six or seven buildings or the actual company itself may, may have a portfolio of 50 or 100 buildings that all have staff and they may have something in, across the portfolio that would be suitable for Mr. Fred Bloggs or whoever it may be. Um, so yeah, all of the candidates cross over temp and perm. We have people that have been placed in permanent jobs that work for us on their days off because the main shift pattern in what we do tends to be four days on, four days off. They tend to work on shifts, um, which is quite good for us because a lot of our good temp staff have permanent jobs. They understand the industry. They're working in the job sort of as their permanent position. So they know exactly what the expectations are, which does help us. Do, do you have do you have metrics on, the, do you keep track of those temporary workers or permanent workers that are doing additional on the temp side that are also working through other agencies how, how sticky are you as a as an employer of choice for them do you know some i'll be honest there's probably two or three agencies that, that do what we do we're a very niche space there isn't if you went to someone or oh, what do you people ask me what i do and i say i work in res, residential property and they think i'm an estate agent when i'm not um it's they there's two or three people that do what we do we're, we're all quite lucky because the residential block management space has boomed over the last 10 years. And I found myself in a spot which I was able to grow a business. Um, that when I first joined, to be honest, I had no idea that this was even possible in the position I was going into. Um, but we've really pushed ourselves in the market. And I would like to think become a an agency of choice. But not just for clients, but for candidates. I think we've always, what I would say sets us above the, com the competition would be we've always charged slightly more so we can pay our our, our staff slightly more um, because I would rather 
it'd be easier to recruit staff. It's hard enough at the moment, especially obviously due to Brexit and a, and a, and a few other issues in regards to the shortage of in the labour market across hospitality in itself is the hardest. Yeah, how, how's how's that impacted you you guys? On on um, the first interview we we had some weeks back, um, Chris Howe he was he was talking about the impact. We, we know, of course, everybody talks about the, the war for talent at the moment, and that's a global issue. Mm. But in terms of how Brexit has particularly affected your business, yeah. what what change have you seen in terms of availability of well, workers? Being honest, a lot of people who worked in hospitality at the bottom end were people that had come to the had come to London and had wanted to get their wanted to start a new life here, or they would get a job here. They would come from all over Europe and they could get a job there. They might speak fluent English or they may be learning their English. They might be doing courses. And if they, if they've got a hospitality skill set and they come across well, as I said earlier, their the skills that they're picking up are very transferable. I think hotels in general would bring in a lot of staff into housekeeping roles, into valet roles, doorman roles where, they're not, they're not necessarily their English doesn't have to be a hundred percent. It doesn't have to be fluent yet. As long as they are conversational, they will they will be suitable to do them jobs. And and people were coming in and earning when when I started, I don't know five six pounds an hour. And what residential always paid slightly more than that. And it was a really good pool, like a talent pool for us to go out and sort of cherry pick the good staff from hotels. I used to have a I don't know a dozen hotels that I would run searches on the job boards on regularly. This, this was when you were a recruiter when you first yeah, started when your I was business. Recruiting, yeah. yeah, and it, it's sort of been the way we still run searches across hotels. Don't get me wrong, but they are the talent pool there is much smaller than it ever has been. So the industry now having to be less, our clients have to be less um, picky if you want to call it that. They'll be more realistic around where they're getting their where they're getting their candidates from. And in, in line, it has really, the, the prime buildings have really pushed up their salaries and it, they're getting the top staff now. There's sort of three or four clients we work with that have pushed up their basics and they are attracting the best people, as, as you would, because if you're working in an industry where your average salary now for a concierge is probably 26,000, um, if you're paying someone 30,000, that 10%, that Three, that three to four thousand a year is a massive difference in, in in the pay packet to these people when it comes to paying for rent and cost of living and so on it's um yeah so that that small difference is a is important so, so that brings us very nicely into the retention piece and and of course absolutely pay makes makes a big difference are there any other things that either you or your end clients are doing around retention in terms of either metrics of, of measuring it or in terms of incentives or, or anything like that? Well, I think, I think retention is, in what we do, I would say we've got different parts of the business. Obviously, I, I'm, I can discuss the site staff piece, but the we do more senior recruitment on the perm side around block managers. And retention in that is really, or retention in that market is so difficult because there's not enough trained, skilled workers who understand block management and are trained to do it. So you're getting people being promoted through the industry really quickly when, unfortunately, if you're a 
junior property manager, then you become a property manager and then a senior property manager. You only really get an understanding of the job role for experience and time on the ground and managing buildings. Whereas unfortunately at the moment, because there's a, a need for bums on seats, our clients are unable to uh, find the staff. So they're sort of hiring people that are maybe not suitable enough, putting them under too much pressure and to manage buildings with expectations of leaseholders who own flats that are worth millions of pounds. And you, you're expected to go and sit in front of these people uh, at a board meeting and really be able to explain and be credible isn't really, it's not, at times they can, come un, they can come unstuck and then lose management of buildings. And that comes down to a shortage of staff due to the growth of the residential property market over the last, as I said, five to 10 years. In regard to retention for them people, training is important. I think if I, I would probably want to come more on to, it's hard to retain temps on a zero hours contractor basis because they're all looking for a permanent job. So it's really difficult for me to say, this is how we retain temporary staff. The only way I say we can do that is by paying above the average against our other agencies, which that we compete with. And I say, we do do that. And we push London living wage on all of our clients where we can. But in Verto, um, obviously Verto is not an agency. Verto is a is a product where clients will outsource their staffing team to us. Um, we have there's two ways of doing that. They can either fully outsource it to Verto HR, Verto HR, and we manage payroll, HR, training, disciplinaries, appraisals, uh, if uh, turnover. So we will do free recruitment. So Verto works with PMI if they ever need any recruitment needs the account managers will might do the recruitment themselves because some of them come from a recruitment background and come from PMR or if they're struggling they bounce off PMR and PMR will so PMR basically cover all of the holiday for all of Verto's buildings so the companies work in synergy together to do that um, but in regard to the permanent staff at Verto we we have an in-house e-learning training academy um, which I think does sort of keep them engaged to, to an extent. We do look for internal moves for them if we feel that they're capable to move around. We obviously have a portfolio of buildings. We have about 100 buildings um, that use us to outsource their staffing and we've about 300 staff roughly. That always goes up and down depending on clients that either move on or we, we sort of take on new schemes. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm interested to delve a little bit deeper into what you were saying a couple of minutes ago about the so so the shortage of people for building management they only can really get the experience obviously the experience by working but is there a vocational route Do, are, are there diplomas people can take at college do you or your clients work with local education to th thinking years ahead if there's already yeah. a shortage now yeah. Where are you going to find these people in the years to come? Is there a yeah. way of working with the schools or the colleges to try and have that that funnel of of new workers coming through? It's a great point, James. Actually, we had a um, me and my colleague Annie done a block brunch a couple of weeks ago, and we got sort of twenty industry SME leaders together and sat down in a room, put some topics up, and. Um, one of them was fire doors, so I won't bore you with that, but <laughs> that was went on for a while. But one of the main things that always does sort of come 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 to the fore is 
training and sort of getting people in or actual as you said vocational courses and getting people into the sector one you don't <laughs> the worst thing about the industry in my opinion is anyone can set up a block management company tomorrow and manage a building there's no it's not like you're a lawyer or you're an accountant or whatever it may be and you need to have a qualification to practice that block management doesn't have that it has a it has a it has like a body that um oversees it and manages it and tries to work with the local with the local governments and to try and push through change and and just it just improvements in the legalities of block management um and there's another there was another body that was sort of built to sort of set up training courses within the industry and they've come together recently so you've got ARMA, which is the association of residential managing agents and then you had IRPM, which is the Institute of Residential Property Management. So Armour was the, was the body and IRPM was the training course provider. And they've come together to form something called TPI, which they called the Property Institute. And to give them a, a lot of credit, they've done wonders really trying to push change going into government. There's a gentleman called Nigel Glenn who used to head that up. And he is a very well... Um, sort or he's, he's very well thought of within the industry um same with a guy called Andrew Bormer from from IRPM and they work together along with their teams within them w w within that business and but it doesn't change the fact that there still isn't a qualification there that you must have to manage a building and I think something should come in and change that and I think it will make it more of a um an industry that people want to get into from university or through college there is a course as i said it's called it's called the irpm course and there's different parts to that part one part two you can become an associate you, you can become a member and i really think that is i think a lot of the managing agents in the industry now recognize those and they are expected to when they're hiring they put people through those courses or train their staff up with them but i, I was i was about to say taking a stab in the dark i would imagine that people would probably only usually find out about those courses once they're already in the industry Hundred percent. So yeah. th th it's not something that you're going to go. Oh, yeah, let me go and do my IRPM qualification because we're in a like I said earlier, in a niche space, of, but a growing space, and it's something that there needs to be some external input into getting people into this into this market because <laughs> people are looking after billions of pounds of leaseholder money. If you you get a block of flats that goes up in Canary Wharf. 500 units you can have it you, you can have a service charge budget there of two and a half million three million a year maybe even more to be honest some of these sites you know, the 10 million pound budget and that's going on someone that doesn't necessarily you can have an assistant property manager that's just joined that company they can not not, not have any of experience in in the sector they get promoted within a year because they've got no one else to do that role and they think they, they're suitable, but really they don't necessarily have the understanding to do that role. And before you know it, they've got their hands or, and don't get me wrong, there, there is safeguarding in place around the money now. And it, it, it never used to be that way. There is a lot more in place like that. You can go back 10 years, there's cases online. You can see where people have had um, control of 15 building service charge money and they're setting up companies in their own name in their, putting through cleaning invoices you know which are and i'm sure like i'm sure that doesn't happen as much anymore i can't say that doesn't happen i wouldn't know but I, there's a lot of safeguarding in place to stop that happening now but 
again, if people had to be qualified and they, for example, there is RICs for like being a chartered surveyor and a lot of people in our industry do have that qualification. However, it does still need some more fine tuning, I think, long term, the bigger the industry gets because the amount of money we're talking about is 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 ridiculous that people can have sort of their hands on and not really have anyone to report to or ha have it have any mark you, you mentioned something earlier that i want to pick on you, you talked about being a lawyer so i saw from your linkedin of course that prior to joining this business you worked for a couple of years as a barrister's clerk so i'd imagine you've got a pretty good uh, sense of attention to detail i'm interested to know why the move into the recruitment staffing industry um I probably, if you spoke to my old manager, he probably probably used to talk too much. And coming into South was probably a good move for me. Uh, I was young at the time. I left school at 16, personal reasons, had to get a job. Didn't really have the upbringing, which basically meant I, if I wanted, wanted my own money, I had to go and earn it, basically. If I would have stayed on at dumb A-levels, I would have been at home for longer without any money. And I would, so I didn't have the, the parents to provide for me at the time. So going to recruitment, I had a friend who just got into it and I don't know, I liked the idea. I just applied for PMR, just an advert like themselves for an agency or anything. It was just applied for PMR, went in, met them and got, got the job. But I'll be honest. I fell into it. Yeah, kind of. But I kind of, I, I remember like being a barrister's clerk was great for me. In regard to talking to people, I was 16 and I was, I had, at the time you would have called him a QC and now they're KC, but we had sort of senior, senior barristers and sort of um, taking their stuff to court or um, going to court and listing their cases in the, um, in whatever division it may be. And I'm um, taking them um, sort of inputting all of the information on, on the system. So it, it gave me, it helped me sort of with admin and attention to detail, but also speaking to quite a high net, high net worth people. Um, and and then so so you moved into recruitment and then and then you've moved you're still in a recruitment company of course but you've moved from being a recruiter into an operations role why why that move? Well, just growth of the business to be honest. It got to a point where I I would say built a lot of the original clientele within the business. Like when I joined, it was just me and two directors. There's only three or four of us in the business. And my goal was to grow the company sales. I did, I did a lot of recruitment. I then built a team around me. I then decided to, I said to Dominic, my the current owner of the business, I said, well, I physically can't do any more. I'm maxed out. I need to pass my work on to go out and build the business more. So hired some more people, passed, trained them, passed the work on, went out and done more new business, more BD, grew the business some more. And some people underneath me were then becoming very capable to do their own BD, and it just just spiraled. Grew, grew really. out from there. Yeah, well, just... Mark, the, the, there were more questions I wanted to ask you, but um, we've actually overrun already. So wow. thank you very much for your time. Um, it's been really, really interesting to hear about what you guys are doing. Thank you very much. Well, thanks for having me, James.
Thank you to our listeners. Please like, subscribe and share. And more importantly, let us know if there is someone you would like us to interview on the show and what you would like to hear them talking about. What strategic and or operational changes are you planning to implement in your staffing slash recruitment firm? Lastly, thank you to our sponsor employee providing front and middle office solutions to a range of staffing and recruitment organisations on the Salesforce platform. That's all for today. James Lawton signing out. 